calling you Father, Father, because your Son has brought us into your family by your grace and by the power of the gospel, by his shed blood and his resurrection, by giving us your spirit. It took a lot to do that, very costly, and yet you're powerful and good and merciful. So would you cause these truths, Father, to be clearly taught and spoken from your word and clearly and heart-grippingly believed and trusted in this morning, glorify Christ, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. So if you've been here with us uh, as we've been trekking through First John, you might say, Are we, do we have to talk about love again? I mean, come on, John has talked about love at least two times. And so isn't that enough? I think one reason that John gets into the subject again is last week he talked about testing the spirits to see whether they're from God. In other words, checking out false teachers and distinguishing them from those who are not, who are Christ-centered teachers. Falsehood from truth. And so sometimes we can do that in a way that's not loving. So I think that part of the reason that John gets into the subject right now is because truth and love are never separated in, in the Christian life. It's not optional. Truth and love are always both fully to be manifest in the Christian life. And uh, in addition, I think another reason that John gets into love again is besides the fact that we just need to hear it again and again and again is because he's going to go a little bit deeper into the foundation of the command to love one another or dare I say the theology of it, the God-centeredness of love. So let's look at verse 7 and we'll just start right into our text, verse 7 of chapter 4 of First John. And in verse 7, John says, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. Why should we love one another? We ask John. John says, First, because love is from God. And we say of children, where does he get that from? Or if we're saying it, as my English teachers would have had me say it, from where does he get that? And that's, Kids get their traits from uh, parents either genetically and or nurture or both. And so that's how it is with us and God. If love is from God, then we should love because God is himself love, as we'll see in verse 8. Well, love comes from God and comes from us to, through God to others. So this is the third time also that John talks about the fact that the reason we should love one another is because if we have, we've been born of God and we know God. So this is the third time that John grounds how Christians should live in the fact that they have been born of God. In fact, he's going to use born of God several more times, at least three more times, before the letter's over. So what he's saying is that because God has caused us to be born again, we should love uh, this is the, the, the logic of Christian morality. How we live is based upon what God has done for us in Christ. So he doesn't say love in order to be born again. He says love because we are born of God. It's evidence that we've been born of God. And that we know God. So anyone who loves has been born of God. And anyone who loves knows God, has a relationship with him. So if you've been born of God and you know him... Love one another. Born of God, 
the birth we have through God is the spiritual rebirth we have in God is the reason that he would call us to obey anything. Just like earthly fathers are to be with their children. So, step one. Dads and moms see to it that kids get born, right? Got to have a dad and a mom. And then, after that, they instruct them how to live. Not in order to become their children, but because they are their children. So that's how it works in God's plan as well. Because we are born of God, he nurtures us and calls us to to love as he loves. And in verse 8, John says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The one who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. Now, who knows what an adjective is? What is an adjective? That'd be an adverb. Yeah, so close. You can have another chance. Modifies a noun. Okay, great. What is a noun? Oh, well, that's good to know. <laughs> so what is a noun? Person, place, or thing. All right, so uh, this is God is love. Love is a noun, so it's equating. It's not saying God is just loving. It's saying God's very nature and essence is love. It's like saying, uh, think of an adjective uh, to describe Brian over here. Crazy. Crazy. Okay. <laughs> So it's one thing to say Brian is crazy. It's another thing to say Brian is craziness itself, right? Yes. Amen. Yes. So I don't know if you're agreeing with that or you're just saying that's true. So this is the second time that John has said God is and using a noun word. So the first time he said God is light, meaning God is holiness itself. God is pure purity itself, not just that he is pure, but he's purity itself. And now he's saying God is love, not just God is loving, it's true, but God is love itself in his very essence. He is love. And those two things together means God is a holy love. So what does God's love look like anyway? Is it just a warm feeling he has toward us? Well, verse 9 starts getting into more what God's love looks like. And John writes in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. So, in other words, John's saying, here's how the love of God was revealed among us. God sent his only, unique, no one else like him, Son into the world. He sent what he loved more than anything or anyone else in the universe, his Son, to a world that hated him. The world that had rejected God, rebelled against him, worshipped false gods in place of him, called what he said was good, evil, and evil good, a world full of corruption, he sent his pure, holy, loving son into this world. God sent his only son into such a world. This is the first time in history God had brought himself down into our world in this way, in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus made himself vulnerable, so to speak, or mortal by coming into the world as a man and as the Son of God still. And what did we do? 
we murdered him. And God knew we would do that. So what kind of parent sends his son into a world that he knows with certainty that that they're going to kill him? Maybe not a helicopter parent. Um, Is he an incompetent parent? It is an insane kind of love beyond description that would do that. It's a love that we can't even comprehend. It's love to the max beyond anything that we can imagine. Any, any human example would fall way short of that. And God's love was not an indefinable feeling. He sent him to give us what we needed most, to give what all the world's power, wisdom, knowledge, and technology could never do. He did this so that we might live through him. We deserve the death penalty. Not just physical death. That's all already something that we're all facing. But an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. Instead, Christ came so that we might have life, abundant life, abundant, eternal, true life, through Jesus, the very one that we put to death. As Peter said, the apostle said, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And now, we who trust in him, we who put our faith and confidence in what he's done to save us, live through the very one that we, our sins, put to death. You say, well, that's incredibly generous of God to love us this way, but isn't this kind of of love open to horrible abuse? Won't the world just take this to mean God is soft on sin? That after all, he's just an old softy who couldn't, just couldn't bring himself to punish us? Well, let's look at verse 10 and see if that's what kind of love God has for us. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here is love. Not a groovy kind of love. Don't sing it. But God's kind of love. It was never based upon our love for him. God wasn't thinking, you know, deep down I know they love me. If I just uh, bribe them a little bit, give them a gift, maybe, they'll, maybe that'll bring them back. No, that's not God's kind of love at all. Rather, God's love was completely one way, one-sided, from God, Love is from God. And the gift that he gave us in sending his son was not what we would have asked for. We might have asked for all kinds of good stuff. Like, we might have asked something fairly legitimate, like, God, take away all the bad things out of the world and replace with good. And God's answer to that is, I'm going to get around to that, but first I've got to take care of the reason there are bad things in the world, which is sin. And the only way that I can remove sin from the world without destroying the sinners is I first have to send my son. I first need to take away the cause of all the bad things in the world. And since sin is in all people, the only way I can destroy the bad in the world without destroying people is to judge your sins and mine in my son, in God's son. That's what it means that God sent his son to be, big vocabulary word, we've had it before, propitiation. 
Propitiation means God was satisfied to visit his justice and his, his wrath, his holy wrath upon his son that we deserve. His son took it and turned away God's wrath from us and took it on himself. That's what propitiation means. In the death of his son, God upheld his just judgment, his righteous wrath against our sins by pouring out his judgment on Jesus. Again, this is a stunning, this, this kind of love is... That's why people will just reject the gospel. They'll say, I can't fathom a God that would do that. And for us, it's the, the, only way, the only way, the only hope we have is that Christ bore our just punishment on himself. And that is how God loved us. So God's love is not just him going soft on sin at all. It's the perfect father in perfect love and perfect justice through the perfect obedience of his perfect son providing what we needed most a substitute who could pay for our sins and give us life which takes us to verse 11 this is where John starts talking about how does this impact us how should we live in light of this and John says in verse 11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God loved us in this way, we ought to love one another. There's that ought word again. We saw it back in 3.16. First John 3.16, not John 3.16, where John said, By this we know that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So there's this oughtness. If God has loved us in a certain way, then we ought to love one another in a way that fits. So, how has God loved us? Well, we just read that. And with God's love as our model, how should we love one another? We have the resource, we have the new birth, we have the new life in us that is programmed, that is filled with the love of God. So he's not asking us to do something he has not given us the resources to do. So how do we do that? What is God's love like so that we should imitate? Well, We said that God gave what he loved most so that we could receive what we needed most. And that's life. So we should give what we love in order to bring people to life. How do we do that? Well, physical life is is important. And so earlier in John 1 John 3.17, John said, if we have this world's goods, we should not close up our hearts of compassion toward them. And share what we have. So, it's very simply, we can share what we have with others. People who have a need. A physical need. That's a very straight-on way to show the love of Christ. In addition, love that comes from God seeks to build a person up. It desires to see a person grow in life in Christ. It seeks what is good for the person. So, in relationships, what does that other person need from me that will encourage them to seek life in Christ and or grow in him? So that's one way we can love people the way Christ loved us. Is how can I help this person grow in Christ? What do they need from me to represent Christ's truth and grace to them that will help them to grow in him and experience more life in him? Another way that God has loved us, as we saw, is that he took the initiative to love us when we would, never would have loved him first. So, consequently, we take the initiative. We love a, a one-way love. God's kind of love takes the initiative to love even if the other person rejects you. 
and won't return your love or are so under the power of sin that they can't return your love. Sometimes people are just so messed up, they, they just are so lost, they don't know, don't know how to love at all. And so we get the privilege, the painful privilege often, to love someone who doesn't deserve to be loved and who can't return it or won't return it. But this is how God loved us. And then another way God loved us that we should love in return is he paid the price for our wrongs himself so he could justly forgive us and give us true life. God paid the price for the wrongs himself in, in the judgment of his son in our place. So for us, that can mean forgiving. Forgiving. Forgiving those who have wronged us feels unfair, doesn't it? It feels like, don't we just encourage the person to take advantage of us if they don't have to pay the price for what they've done? In this life, it is possible they will feel they have gotten away with it, but we forgive as God and Christ has forgiven us out of obedience to him. We do that trusting the Lord, who will either justly forgive or judge. So we trust the Lord, ultimately, He's either going to forgive them through Christ, just as he did us, or he's going to judge them if they're outside of Christ. So it's a God-centered perspective on forgiveness. Forgiving others as God forgave us doesn't mean there's never a place for establishing boundaries or requiring accountability for actions. Often, love compels us to confront the wrongs and require the offending person to correct behavior to build trust. But you do this not as a condition of forgiveness, You do it out of love for them because it's good for the other person to be motivated to repent and change their behavior. We don't do it because we can make them do it. We invite them to do it by the way we love them. And sometimes that involves setting up boundaries. This is like God the Father's loving discipline. God disciplines those whom he loves. It's painful, but he does. He loves us and he disciplines us. Because he knows it's good for us. Even though he forgives his children of their sins, God the Father disciplines his children for their good, that they may share in his holiness. God forgiving his children's sins means we will never, ever be condemned for them, ever. If you're in Christ, you've received forgiveness of sins, you will never, ever be condemned or judged for those sins. In the meanwhile, God is about shaping us and working in our lives to causes to be like his son Jesus. And sometimes that's painful. So it's not punishment. It's not God getting us back because he's angry. It's God lovingly disciplining us. Just as we dads discipline our kids, or should, in love. My earthly father, during the rebellion and foolishness of my late teens, did that very well. In the midst of my craziness, he always told me that he loved me, Even though I knew his standards hadn't changed, he always upheld standards of rightness and and, uh, his purposes for me, but he always affirmed that he loved me. So he was an example of a a dad who loved, in spite of crazy, undisciplined, rebellious son, and who continues to love in the midst of that. That's what God does for us. That's why discipline and love are not contradictory. But unforgiveness and love is contradictory. So it's like that in relationships in the church, in our marriages or parenting, or toward our parents. In love, we keep forgiving wrongs done to us because of what Christ has done for us. 
In love, we keep forgiving wrongs done to us because of what Christ has done for us. That means we don't continue to hold sins against those we have forgiven. We don't allow bitterness to settle in our hearts. We don't continue to bring up the past. That's how we recognize, have we forgiven or not? Is there bitterness and do we keep bringing up the past? Sometimes we have to keep reappropriating that again and again. And that's okay because it's a growth process to forgive as well. So, yes, we may in love prayerfully set behavior and truth expectations in godly wisdom from the Bible that honors God. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26 is not on the, on the screen, but uh, it's a good one to make sure that you have as a format for how do you love a person and confront them at the same time with their wrongs. So 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, if you have a Bible, turn to that. And it reads like this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. So, who am I when I'm facing conflict? I'm the Lord's servant. I'm not serving my own cause. I'm serving the Lord. And how, what, my, what must my posture be? Kind to everyone, not quarrelsome, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance. So I'm correcting with gentleness. Love is not contradictory to correcting, but I correct with gentleness and recognize that God is the one who grants repentance. So I'm trusting God as I'm doing this. I don't try to force it on people. He's the one who grants them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses. So if you're wondering when that person is going to come to their senses... Pray like crazy that God will grant them repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And then verse 12 in 1 John. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. God, in his essence, is spirit. That's another God equated with a noun. God is spirit. In his essence, he is spirit. So no one has ever seen God proper. Yes, God appeared in human form in the Old Testament sometimes. God would show up kind of like an angelic form, but a human-like appearance. And, of course, Jesus, God's son, came in the flesh. When people saw Jesus... They were not seeing God in his essence, his spirit. They were seeing the Son of God, the Word of God made flesh, who who revealed uh, God. But but they weren't seeing God in his essence, his spirit. And so even John, uh, in his gospel, says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So no one has ever seen God straight up in his pure essence, as spirit. But John's point here is this. How are people going to see God? If we love one another, John could have said, this is how people will see God. He could have said, he'll see him in a spectacular mountain view, mountain vista, like Mount Hood, or they might see him in the stars, and certainly those, we see the glory of God revealed in his creation. Or they might have said, people might see God, so to speak, in a powerful worship service, and certainly when we worship God, and singing and preaching and sharing and praying together, uh, we might be deeply convinced of the glory of God and his presence. 
But John's saying no one can see God in his essence as a spirit, but they can be impacted by God in his essence as love. So God is spirit. We can't see that, but God is love. We can see that because God has chosen to love others through us. And that's what he's saying. God has chosen to love others through us. This is not, and then he says, if we love one another, God's love is perfected in us. Of course, God's love itself is perfect. It doesn't mean we are improving on God's love. What he's saying is, God's purpose is to love people through us. And so, what perfected means here is that God's purpose for how people experience his love through us is being completed. In other words, God's love is brought to full expression in us. In other words, God designs for people to, to practically experience his love by our loving one another. Yet, people can hear how God loves them through the gospel, for sure. They hear about God's love, the way he loved us through the gospel. Loved us, as we have already talked about, by Christ dying for our sins and being raised again. For us, in his love. And yes, God sheds his love, pours out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We experience love that way too. But the way that God intends for us to, to practically, hands-on, real life, see, see his love, is through one another. We see and experience God's hands-on love for us through believers in Christ, loving one another and loving us. Now, I think we'll stop there and I'll pray and uh, we'll pick up the other verses next week. So join me as we pray. Father, what kind of love is this? that we should be called your children. If we are the way, as we love one another, as Christian brothers and sisters love one another, are to experience your love for us and literally to see you in that love. Apart from your grace and mercy, that's a heavy burden for us to bear. But because you have caused us to be born again, caused us to have new life in Christ the very nature of which is to love we can do it it's not impossible and Father I'm so grateful for the many people at Harvest who represent that kind of love continue Father to cause us to see ways that we can love in helping people grow in Christ in forgiving one another in meeting needs Oh, Father, may we know more deeply each day the incredible love that you have had for us in Jesus Christ as we love one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.